Welcome to the Fantasy Ace Ball Podcast. This is your host, Tim Kanak. You can find me on the Twitter X thing at Fantasy Ace Ball. And with me today, special guest, John Anderson at John PGH on Twitter, X, Twix, whatever you want to call it. What's up, John? Hey, man. Kanak, huh? Yeah, that's right. Kanak, I I was thinking Kanak or something. I bet people get that wrong all the time. Oh, yeah. That's so. Kanak is definitely the most common. I've heard kayak, yeah. which I guess that's from people who just like their mind sees two letters and turns it into something. Read like but the first two and the last two and then figure out the, yeah. The best part though is that it's a palindrome. That is the best part of my name. Right. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. <laughs> Kanak Mitt. Yeah. I don't have any trouble with that. And John Anderson, except I can't. The problem with me is I can't get famous because. If you Google John Anderson, it will never be me no matter what I do because <laughs> there's so many. Yeah. You know, I met ESPN John Anderson a number of times when I was in oh, school. Yeah? yeah, because he went to Mizzou for uh, journalism, broadcast journalism, and I was a broadcast journalism major at Mizzou. So he came quite a few times. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you, dude parties. Dude stays out <laughs> until bars close. So that dude parties. That's kind of pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so John Anderson. I, I, and it's funny because I actually saw him, uh, uh, an old commercial with like Steve Irwin and him in it the other day, yeah. just randomly. I was just browsing or whatever and I saw that commercial. So, as Steve, Irwin, I always wondered because I guess they still have the same hours, but I haven't watched SportsCenter in forever. When I was a kid, they like they must record those shows at 2 or 3 a.m., you know? I mean, those guys are just up all night, I guess. But then sometimes they get. I don't know. It seems like those guys probably don't sleep very much. All the stuff they have to do. No, they work a lot of holidays too. It's pretty crappy. Yeah, a horrible job. (laughs) Yeah, and they don't get paid anything until they make it onto like a national network. So Mm -hmm. if you're just like local doing that, you get paid nothing. And then once you're national, boom, all of a sudden you're making a million or whatever. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a sports journalist, broadcaster guy. And my dad told me I couldn't, like he wouldn't pay for that degree. (laughs) <laughs> so it's like uh, i you know i had my like one night like you know angsty teenager night where i like told him he was he wasn't being nice and i i want to fly my flap my wings like a butterfly or whatever you know all this lame stuff and then he's like okay i mean you can do it but I, you have to pay for it yourself then i was like well i'm not stupid enough to do that you know i'll tell you, I, I still need the, the help so i got computer science and then I still, I still thought I was just like, I'll just get this degree, and then I'll show him that I'll end up being a sports journalist, radio guy, anyway. And then I, here I am, you know, I'm a data <laughs> guy now, have a yeah, normal nine to five data analyst job. But it was the best thing, the best thing he could have ever done for me. Because even if I, even if I could have made, like we just said, even if like I could be one of these, I want to be like a Pirates broadcaster. I, like now, I'm like, if they offer me the Pirates play-by-play announcer job, not that I have any reason to be qualified for it or whatever but just say if they're like you want to be the pirates play-by-play guy i'd be like absolutely not like i don't care how much money you would pay me that sounds like the worst job on the on earth i mean i know people probably won't agree with me on that but it sounds awful following (laughs) this team around all summer travel all the time never see your family work every holiday right watch 162 games and if the team's no good my man my god can you imagine being forced to watch 162 pirate games (laughs) <laughs> just a bit outside <laughs> that's why yeah. you get 
That's why you get uh, announcers like Mike Shannon, who are drinking <laughs> Bush Light during the whole game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> radio radio announcer, you get a lot. You get a lot more uh, flexibility, I think, in what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. No one's looking at you. <laughs> All right. So uh, news and injuries. I was just trying to keep it a little chill here because last podcast I talked about some playoff stuff and. Everyone kind of knows what's going on right now. There's only four teams left. No need to talk about Kyle Schwarber hitting a bunch of bombs or whatever. But um, this is fun to talk about. Trevor May, he retired and then went on Twitch and basically went off on the A's owner. Just completely destroyed him. And what are your thoughts on that? Because, like, me, like, yeah, he's retired, so he doesn't – he has nothing to fear now that he's done that. But – it, he brings up a lot of good points in this that like, yeah, why are there owners like this? It's like, just cause you have a bunch of money doesn't mean, you, and you can't own a team. Doesn't mean that baseball should let you own that team. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I understand. Um, I, I balk at the idea that someone should be told what to do with the thing they own. Um, and then when people say, you sh- if you're not going to own the team with the goal of winning with the main goal of winning, then you shouldn't be allowed to have it. But who, who in that, in this theoretical would stop them? I don't understand. Like, it, do you want like the federal government to come in and stop them or the other owners to somehow, <laughs> I don't, so that, that's what not, I've never heard answered. Like how, how do you get the guy out if he doesn't want, if he wants to keep the thing he owns? I think what they need to do is they just need to create more, incentives to compete right like if you incentivize winning enough then you're going to get owners who want to win more like why instead of splitting revenue evenly for like tv revenue why don't they have it like tiered out based on winning percentages over a certain time period or something like that like me i run a business and so i and i have salespeople, and I'm not going to just pay all my salespeople the same thing. Even if one guy sells a lot more than another guy, be like, Oh, it's revenue sharing. It's committed. You know, like it's commission based. Like the, the more you sell, the more money you make. Right. So like, why aren't there incentives for owners to be good would, instead of just sharing, splitting the revenue evenly? The, the owner is the one that decides what to do with the revenue. I mean, it, it, there's no one above him to be like, this is how we need to do it. So I don't, the yeah. owner doesn't pay himself in theory, right? It's just like I kind of own everything and then I disperse the money as I – I mean, I don't even – how do the athletics have revenue? That's the question, I guess, just by virtue TV. of being a major league team. Yeah, it's just the TV revenue because there's a split, yeah. right? So, like, all the teams get an X amount of dollars for TV revenue even if they're bad. I don't remember what yeah. the amount is. Oh, yeah, the share is like right. 60 or 80 million or something like that. <clears throat> so if you have a right. payroll of only 20 million or whatever, like obviously you have other expenses besides just payroll, besides just the players, like you're opening a stadium and play, paying other employees and stuff. So if you have a payroll of 20 something million and then you're paying another 10 or 20 million in operating costs, then you're just banking 40 million every year in even if you suck. So it's like yeah. if you incentivize it where the teams that are good get a higher percentage of the revenue coming in and teams can say, Oh, I can actually make more money instead of losing. I can make even more money if I have a team that has a chance of doing well over time. Yeah. Like, I think you'd end up losing teams though. It's just like, 
it's not a comparison. It's not a level playing field whatsoever with New York City against um, Oakland's not even a great example. But just say like Pittsburgh, where I'm from, right? Uh, I don't live there right now, but it's not close. I mean, New York City has millions of, I mean, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people around there to for eyeballs and merch and everything. And then you compare that with Pittsburgh. It was still a city, but it's, you know, it's a fraction of the size of New York. So the, just the dollars available for the picking is just not close. So if you, if you had that, where if you didn't win, you couldn't, you wouldn't make any money, then I think the pirates would just go out of business. So. I, I don't yeah. Know. I mean, there's, they have luxury taxes to stop teams from, I mean, yeah. you know, you've got, you're going to have your Steve Cohen or whatever who spends whatever anyway. But the luxury tax does disincentivize, and you've seen even like the team teams like the Dodgers come back down under it on purpose. Yeah. So I mean, it, right. it does it's that does its job. It's just the other way around. Like we have a ceiling that kind of works, at least it works a little bit. And I think yeah. there just needs to be some sort of floor or incentive or something. It's, it's, that's the that's the thing. I it's reasonable to me. I just everybody that says like I am in Pittsburgh all the time. It's like this guy shouldn't Bob Nutting shouldn't be allowed to own the team. And I was like, okay, who who are you asking to? remove him and nobody ever because then i say a couple times i've gotten in twitter fights with people like so you want i say so you want the government to come take his the thing he owns away and they're like what are you always talking about the government this isn't the government it's like what how is that not the only option here i mean you know unless the other owners all get together and i don't know what they would do like (laughs) you know yeah it's just like the guy owns the thing and you can't tell someone what they can or can't do with the thing they own. I mean, in some cases you can, but um, yeah, except just, yeah, stop, it's, except just stop buying the product. If fans are unhappy with right, the team, right. all you can do is just show like, Oh, I don't like this product anymore. So I'm going to stop buying into right. it. Just like if, if everyone decided McDonald's sucks now and everyone in the world stopped going to McDonald's, yeah. then McDonald's would have to close some stores. So <laughs> yeah, it's like, but I know, guess that'd it, be the only way really, I guess. My, yeah. And then the other thing I, I think is like, who's the, who's the victim of this? I mean, people want to be like, I've loved the athletics since I was a kid and they stink now and it hurts my feelings. It's like, I, I don't know, grow up, like stop, find another team or entertain yourself some other way. This isn't serious, you know, like, um, but, but to your point, like they do, these teams do just get millions of dollars from revenue sharing and TV contract sharing and stuff. And it makes sense that they should say, you got to spend at least, 70% of this on player salaries. But then again, there's another problem because what if they can't find a player to take the money? I don't, because <laughs> yeah. no matter if the pirates offer and Aaron Nola is a free agent, if the pirates offer Aaron Nola, whatever he'll cost, they ain't getting them because some other team is going to go, you know, if there'll, there'll be competition. So the only, the only players these like crap teams can go after are the Carlos Santana's and those kind of players. So, if you have to meet some salary floor and you can't find good players, what do you end up doing? You're going to have to end up just overpaying a bunch of crabby players. So it's just not as simple as people like yeah. to say. I think I, I like positive incentives more than like negatively, like penalizing someone for not doing something. I think yeah. if you positively, if you have a carrot at the end of the stick, it works better than just saying, don't do this or else you get slapped on the wrist. I just think positive yeah. incentives work a little better. So if they could, I think that'd be the way to go. If they can figure out a way to say, Okay, you get an additional percentage of the revenue. Like they, like they don't pay all the revenue evenly. They keep it like a bank, right? Maybe they pay 80% of the revenue that for the TV deals out to the teams regularly, and then they keep like a 20% bank for the teams at the end of the year that make the playoffs or that hit, yeah. uh, you know, that are 500 or whatever, you know, just so, something that sure. shows that at least they're trying. So, Yeah, I'm I mean, not opposed to things like that. 
Yeah, I think that might be the way. But anything um, that every if everybody wants something, especially online, if everybody's on the same page, I'm just gonna be like, I don't, I disagree. You know, <laughs> I can't, <laughs> I can't go along with these people. But yeah, <laughs> that doesn't always work. A lot of times, you're just totally wrong. <laughs> so what about like uh this team moving to vegas like do you think it's gonna work for them are they gonna be successful moving to vegas is this gonna help them like are they gonna make more money in vegas and be like oh look now we make more money so now we can feel a better team because we want to be a show now that we're in vegas we need to have some yeah. you know high-end players to turn it into a show so that people come right like you need bryce harper or whatever they need like a right. bryce harper then he would be the perfect guy because he's from vegas but I don't know. There's some case studies there. You could see how, although nothing is comparable to baseball with the salary cap stuff, but this will be the third team to go, or this is the second, I guess. Is it just as hockey? No, the Raiders and the hockey team, right? So, yeah. Um, again, it's totally different because NHL and NFL have salary stuff. But it can't be much worse than Oakland. I mean, there's just, those Oakland, Oakland teams are just like a drag. I don't see how. I understand why people in Oakland are upset, but for a baseball fan, um, I don't know, maybe a new owner would be able to do something different or whatever. But right now that's, it sucks for everybody. I think having the athletics just be so pathetically bad. So any kind of change seems like a winner to me, but I don't do, do Vegas have like local people? I don't know anything about Las Vegas. I, I feel like it's not very like, there's probably not a large population of people that live there. Um, no, it's not so. that big of a city, but it's growing. It's I think it's like been constantly over the last decade, one of the fastest growing cities in the country. A lot of people are moving there. Um, Is but, it gonna be a dome? So, so that's like so that's good. It, well, it would. Ha- I think it would have to be yeah. because the temperatures are so drastic. Like it'll be like yeah, 110 like during the day and then like 50 at night because you're in a desert. Right. So, so I, I feel yeah. like they would have to. And then also because you're gonna have people who are like international or whatever. And it would just be, them going to the game may not be, oh, I'm a fan. It's more like a novelty. Like imagine yeah. Vegas could somehow lure Shohei Otani there. And that was like the draw. If you're just like, oh, come see Otani in Vegas, like versus your favorite team. Like you would get so many people to come to Vegas. If you're like, yeah. you can watch Otani in Vegas, you're a Dodgers fan. Everyone from LA would just drive over and, and check that out. So yeah, yeah, it could work. Yeah, it, it just depends. Like, I think that them moving to Vegas, that would be the whole thing. If they're going to spend more money, it would just be like a novelty play where they're like, hey, come watch this superstar uh, against whatever, you know, like your favorite team or whenever you're in Vegas gambling, take a rate gambling. You know, they'll have slot machines and <laughs> yeah. crap in the stadium at the same time. Oh, but That's where every, <laughs> everyone's the going there now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> put slot machines in the bullpen. You got like the relievers. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that's where the whole sports world is going anyway everything's about the the gambling on it now so gonna be some weird stuff happening that's the new frontier for them to squeeze more money out of the poor sad sack people that are entertaining themselves to death yeah i you know i do think though that um having two teams in a city like splitting that up is probably a good thing like no offense oakland but like I think that just having proximity, I know like Oakland and San Francisco are different cities, but just having like splitting up the proximity is good because I think there are like yeah. city, there are some cities that could very easily deserve and, you know, have a, have a team and full, fill a stadium all the time, like Nashville or Austin yeah. or Charlotte or 
something like that. So yeah, it's true. Go to expansion soon, but if you live in that area, why would you be an Athletics fan? You just pick the Giants and go there. You know, so that's a good point. But yeah. Um. So we're gonna talk about some stat stuff, of course. Bringing you on the podcast. No, we're not gonna talk about any stat. We're gonna bring John yeah. Anderson on the podcast and not talk about any stats at all. Yes. <laughs> that would be a new one. Uh, <laughs> so one of the things that we're going to start talking about is rookie correlations. So you and I both have done some research in this and we've both kind of gone about it in different ways a little bit. But one of the interesting things that I think between some of my research and some of yours is that I, I feel like a lot of it intersects. Like we've come across, like even though some of the numbers may vary, there are, I think, it's very easy to see that, oh, yeah, some of these stats don't translate very well from minors to ma- majors because there are just way too many variables. Um, and then others translate a lot better because there's just like way less outliers. Yeah. Yeah. What you, the, the purpose of this and the framework that we were talking about is how do we project a rookie, right? If, mm-hmm. it's, it's somewhat easy to project. Uh, Trey Turner, who we have a decade's worth of plate appearances from, if he had this strikeout rate in the last three years, we can pretty much just be like, he'll have that next year. Let's let's guess that. But for these rookie guys coming up, it's much harder because <clears throat> um, you don't know. You have no idea what how they're going to react to the like the difference. The difference between AAA pitching and the major leagues, it's not comparable to any of the other step ups either like that's kind of something i've learned in the last two years going from triple a or going from single a to double a is absolutely nothing like this the difference between going from triple a to the majors so even that like okay well you know as he's gone up the system he's changed this way that doesn't mean anything to us because the major leagues is such a different higher level that it's just uh it's really hard to know who how they'll handle it um and maybe i shouldn't say that because we we kind of do know that they're not going to handle it super well right out of the gate most of these guys are losing and we'll talk about that i mean it's incredibly incredibly hard to maintain the production from triple a to the majors or whatever level you're talking about and that we saw that more this year than this is for i'm mostly talking about hitters here um but we saw that a ton this year right jordan walker ellie de la cruz Plenty of these other guys. Uh, Jordan Walker ended up okay, but at the beginning it was rough, and Ellie saw what he he just really struggled. So, yeah, uh, and something to to learn. Yeah, I feel like, and like when I've been going over this data, and I've talked about this for a bit, but I feel like this is where plate discipline really matters. I feel like the guys with stronger plate skills in the minors kind of catch on a bit faster once they hit the majors. Um, or, or obviously like some with elite skills, like Corbin Carroll, just being like the fastest player in the majors right away. And Ellie, it's like, okay, they're going to provide fantasy value just based on their athleticism alone. But like a guy like Gunnar Henderson, like he struggled at the beginning a little bit, but he's a strong plate skill guy. And I think that's what helped him kind of catch on a bit quicker than someone like Jordan Walker, who, you know, is not the worst plate skill wise, but he's also, there's nothing really special about like, you know, his walk rate or anything. So I think the guys who have a better eye kind of just catch on a a bit faster once they make the jump. Yeah. And it's even, you can even, even maybe a little simpler way to 
state that is if you have a very low strikeout rate in the minors, then you're, you're probably not going to go, you know, I think the average increase is three points or something. So if you have a 25% strikeout rate in the minors for your first season in the majors, on average, you'd add, you'd go to 28%. Um, And there's examples of guys going like eight to 10 points above. So if you're at 15%, you're not going to go to 30%, right? You're not going to go from 15% to 30% from the minors to the majors. You're probably going to end up 20, 21, 22. And okay. If you're in the majors and, you're striking out at a 20% rate. That's real. That's, that's quite good. You're putting a lot more balls in play than someone at 30%, which just naturally will turn into better numbers because the worst thing you can do is strike out. And then, like you said, if, if you're Corbin Carroll and you're that fast or Ellie De La Cruz and you're that fast and you hit the ball that hard, then that stuff doesn't go anyway. It doesn't go anywhere. Your, your swing speed and your foot speed do not change, obviously, no matter where you're playing. Um, so if you have a guy that, you can feel pretty good about with a low strikeout rate and some speed, then there you go. You can feel pretty good about a batting average and some steals. So those things are, are important, but I think it's just really important to temper your expectations and realize that if man, like with Ellie, this guy was striking out 28, 30% in the minors. It ain't going to be that in the majors. That doesn't happen. It, it, it doesn't, people are like, well, if he's 28% in the majors, he could, he could make that work. And it, it, and maybe it'll happen next year. I don't know, but the first stint, there's just like no way, and it ended up at 36 percent or something. So, yeah. Plus that, plus the ground balls he was hitting, it just made it pretty much impossible for him to do anything for fantasy besides the steals. Yeah, I mean, like, I obviously like the levers and everything with Ellie, but even just on average, I see like, like my research shows that K rates go up about four and a half percent from minors to majors. So that's just like the average player. And if there's already a high strikeout rate to begin with or bad contact rates to begin with, then they're going to be more on the high side than the average side. So that's kind of, I think where contact rate plays in and you have, you can't just look at K rate alone. Like you have to look at what they're doing K rate wise and contact rate wise. And that can kind of give you a general idea of, is this guy going to increase the average amount in his K rate from minors to majors or is he going to be above or below that mark? Like you're never going to have an exact number to use, but I think yeah. that some of the numbers that we can come up with are more like back of the, you know, like back of the napkin numbers that you could, or like rule of thumb numbers. You say, okay, it's going to be somewhere around here. There's going to be obviously like some sort of standard deviation difference, but it should be generally around this area. Um, but just knowing that K rate is probably going to be four and a half percent or, you know, that's what my research shows higher from the minors to the majors. And then that walk rates are going to go down about two and a half percent. You're looking at about yeah. a 7% adjustment, you know, between walk and K rate combined. Yeah. So that's, that's a, a lot more strikeouts and a lot less walks. And that's going to affect obviously the player's final stat line. So if you see a guy just tearing up the minors you shouldn't assume that, oh, they're doing it in the minors. Like, this is going to translate to the majors immediately. And, you know, there's going to be adjustment periods too with that. So, yeah, I, I haven't gotten in too much of the contact rate stuff because that data really wasn't. I mean, I know it's on fan graphs and stuff, but I was using like the Statcast minor league data. So I have it now. I have a full season's worth of minor league contact rates, but um, my model for season projections and stuff basically does just take your minor league strikeout rate and adjust it based on that average. And I think that gets you close enough. 
Um, but now there's a lot more robust data available. And I think I'm probably going to reprogram that a little bit this off season to try to get a little bit better numbers. Cause they're probably something to, um, <clears throat> you know, projecting the smaller things first, like project the contact rate itself. Cause that's more of a hitter skill based, you know, they have a little bit more control over that than the whole strikeout rate thing. Um, yeah. So then you could do especially that. With, those, especially then... with robo umps and stuff happening. It's like, <laughs> you yeah. know, like there's some weird stuff in the minors that can throw off whatever research you're trying to do. It's like, okay, they're using right. sticky balls at double A in one league and not in the other. I know. It's... Then... <laughs> yeah. And the, in the Pacific, and there's some ways to do most of this mathematically, like the, but the Pacific Coast League, triple A, the OPS there this year was 822. And then in the majors, the league OPS is, um, I have the dashboard up right now, 734. So you have to account for that too. Cause if, if you're in the Pacific coast league and, and this isn't about strikeout rate, really um, maybe there's a slight difference there, but if you're like looking at batting average, which is something I don't even do, but you have to adjust that for league too, not only triple A because like a Pacific coast league, if you're on the West coast, that's going to boost your batting average more than an international league, the other league on the East coast. So you're doing it all correctly you need to like factor that in and that's that's a really hard thing to do uh especially if you're doing it by hand that's pretty much like an impossible thing to do yeah. so yeah you know. and th the interesting thing is and on that like note talking about the difference in you know pcl has these crazy parks and stuff but like i noticed on average iso goes down about 40 points so yeah. if someone has like a 200 iso in the minors you expect maybe like 160 in the majors which is insane like that decrease. Right. It's like, how does that happen? It's like, okay, in the minors, they're playing in some, you know, a bunch of Rockies type parks out there, or, you know, great American small parks with in high altitude. And then the other thing is worse pitching. So it's like, you're just, with all these different variables of, oh, you have a bunch of quadruple A pitchers in triple A. Like, that's one of the things right. too. Are the pitchers in double A better than the pitchers in triple A? I think there's a very good case they could be. Yeah. So. Because you actually have like higher end prospects in double A, whereas yeah. triple A is just like taxi squad, 40 man guys. You know, you got a 28 year olds or whatever in triple A. Um, the pitchers throw so way more. The, the one thing the pitchers throw more strikes as you go up the levels. That's definitely true. And the low A, low A, it's like nobody can throw strikes down there. So it's just so much stuff to adjust, so much stuff to take into account. And if you do it right, maybe there's a little bit of an edge. But I think if you do it right, you're, if you're in terms of fantasy baseball, I think you'll end up just not drafting these prospect guys that's pretty much how i play <laughs> so everything you did it'll lead you to just not taking them and then all that research will be for very little gain but I, at least you would know if i'm gonna take a shot at some of these guys let me get this guy that is projecting a bit better because he didn't have these strikeout problems and, and whatnot in the minors so yeah um, i think i think yeah. i really think that like especially like this year is a good tell that Basically, like walk rate, K rate, and like a player's just speed, like athleticism, are the way to go. Because you can look at <clears throat> yeah. Corbin Carroll, right? Everyone pretty much unanimously going into the year is like, oh, Corbin Carroll is the fastest dude, whatever. Like he's going to be good. And then everyone else at the same time is saying Jordan Walker is going to be so good. He's he's got the most power. Blah blah blah. But look how the guy, the fast guy, translated versus the guy who's just supposed to be a power guy, and. Yeah. I think that just goes to show maybe that the adjustment rates for just athletes who also have a good eye 
are the ones who, if you're going to take a shot at a rookie, that's probably the way to go. Even like the year before J rod, right? Like J rod was a super fast dude who had good plate skills in the minors and just like a freak. So like, maybe you just want to go with like the really high end prospects who have some of these skills rather than focusing on like kind of like prospects that are supposed to be really good and are more maybe power-based. Yeah, I know you pick. Yeah. Like I find some of these guys in the minors that have really good numbers that I like, you know, like I'll be a little bit more aggressive on him, but they're not. Then I see like a top prospect list and they're not anywhere in near the top 20. And I'm like, should that matter? Like, are the, are the numbers more telling than the weird prospect ranker guys? And I, I'm not a big believer in the prospect ranker guys. I think it's all just kind of, I think it's good content and people like to read it and people like to speculate, but there's no way to ever like, no one ever goes back and checks to see if they were accurate or not. And I don't know, like you're, if you're doing anything by the eye test, then I'm not just, it's just me, I guess. I'm not going to listen to you. Like, Oh, I went to this game and I've seen this guy play 20 times and I've seen him. So I know what it's just, you know, you don't, your, your eyes deceive you all the time. And that's just by definition, a small sample thing, right? Like you can't, you can't watch a thousand games of a dude or 500 games of a dude or whatever it would take, you know? So, um, yeah, so that is a good question. Like, do you trust that you take the top prospect with bad numbers you don't like, or the lower prospect guy with good numbers? So, um, yeah. Like, here's like Matt, really... Matt McClain. I don't think Matt McClain was all that highly touted before the season. Except by me. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was all over Matt McClain. Like, all... All right. if you go back and listen to my old podcast preseason, I was nice. all over Matt McClain. And he <laughs> he didn't... He got he had some luck, um, and then he got hurt at the end of the year, but he was, like, way outdid all the other rookies per plate appearance. So. Yeah, I think... I was trying to figure... Like, a lot of people have asked, too, because I've... You're like, oh, it's his bad eight, blah, blah, blah. He's going to regress next year. But one of the things I noticed is he's just really good at barreling and like his sweet spot rate is way above the average. So like, I think that's what it is, is he just and you have that really good minor at making very good contact. Um, you... not, no, not from minor league, but I, I was kind of on him more than minor league just because I, I saw him a couple times and then um, just looking at the data and spring training and stuff like that, I was like, look, they're hitting first. He was hitting lead off in spring training. So that kind of tells you what they think about him, yeah. but also just keeping an eye on him and, and what he was doing in spring was a big one, even though most now of we have spring, all this... spring training data is, is useless most of the time, but yeah. Yeah. You're, you're kind of making me think you just got lucky now with all this stuff. Maybe I did. Maybe I did get a little lucky. <laughs> But another guy is Jason Dominguez. I like I, I I'm a prospect ranker guy too, right? So like I do my okay. own prospects too. But I am one of the people who like kept Jason. He's he was in my top twenty still, and everyone's like, oh, he's hitting two hundred or whatever. But the reason I kept him there is because he was walking at like a twenty percent rate when he was making yeah. contact with the ball. He was hitting it really hard. So things like that, and then also his pedigree. It's like, why am I going to drop him down to 80 or whatever? Because he has a 200 batting average with a 220 Babbitt. That's stupid. <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah, batting average. Bad luck. You, you, so. you shouldn't look at batting average. You should almost just completely always ignore batting average. Like, strikeout yeah. rate will tell you enough about that. The other thing that, that we can't possibly know is not every prospect young player will improve. Everybody expects the 25-year-old version of someone to be better than the 20-year-old. Mm-hmm. But you have no idea which guy will how fast that will improve or what the range is. And I'll say it's just so much guesswork that 
Um, I think I'm good enough at major league data to just beat everybody at interpreting that. And I don't need to worry about the guesswork of the minor leagues. I'll just, I let other people play the lottery there, but yeah. And with McLean, like you said about his, his sweet spot stuff. And now we actually have that, right? Like for every yeah. AAA game played, we have those launch angles. Um, and I believe we had that for the Pacific coast league in 2022 as well. And that stuff is that that's very sticky. Um, that's one of that's right up there with like strikeout rate and walk rate from what I've seen is that if you're hitting a ton of ground balls in the minor leagues, that's going to continue in the major leagues, at least at least for the short term. And and by short term, I mean like a year or, you know, mm-hmm. for as long as you're worried about now. Like if I see uh, some prospects that had a 55 percent ground ball rate in the minors, I am absolutely projecting at least that in the majors. Um, and that matters. That matters a lot. That was that, that was almost just as big as a problem for Ellie De La Cruz as the strikeout rate. Not quite, because the strikeout rate was so absurd. But um, ground balls are not good. You, you don't want to hit ground balls if you're looking for fantasy value. Maybe it works in real life, um, but it, for fantasy, you're looking for home runs, RBIs, and you don't get those on ground balls. So. Yeah, that's the Jordan Walker thing, right? Yeah. So getting into pitching then, I know you said you don't really look at the pitchers and their minor league data. Um, and most of it doesn't translate. Like, really, it's like K percentage, walk walk rate, and – if you're going to use a met like another metric, um, maybe like it could, we don't have one of the things is I'm a Sierra guy. If I'm going to use an independent pitching metric, yeah, and minor leagues they only have XFIP, so you can, but XFIP is a lot stickier than ERA, it's like not even close, there's way less volatility. So, if you want, if you want some sort of ERA metric, I would just use XFIP because that's the best one that's available and it's going to be way mm-hmm. better than looking at ERA or trying to figure out whip or home like. Home run rate for pitchers in the minors is impossible to figure out. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. don't right. even mess, don't even mess with it. And that's what affects the ERA so much is just uh, home runs given up. Like, if yeah. you're pitching in PCL, like, good luck. You know what I mean? Like, we've seen that. Like, five ERA guys they come to the majors and all of a sudden they're good, and everyone's like, "What? Where did this guy come from?" So really, it's and you just don't like, even know. Sorry, you don't even know if guys are necessarily like the goal of development. The goal in the major leagues is to post a low ERA. That's very clear. That what you you don't want to allow earned runs. We we don't like to look at ERA in terms of being a predictive stat for next year, but that is the goal. Every pitcher wants to have a low ERA. That's how you win baseball games. But in the minor leagues, the the I imagine that the goal isn't so much to win every game. They don't benefit. Speaking of revenue stuff, I don't think a minor league team makes any more money if they win every game or if they lose every game, right? the purpose of the team is to develop prospects. So maybe a guy's out there trying to just add a slider or something, right? He's not, maybe the goal of every start isn't even to get these guys out. It's just, I need to develop. So that ties in to ERA stuff as well. Cause you don't even know. Like not, it's probably mostly their goal. Like everybody wants to go out and throw seven scoreless innings, no matter what, obviously, but it's not the primary thing. It's like, I want to improve and do what they want me to do to get to the next level. And that doesn't always you know, that and ERA aren't always correlated, right? Like they might yeah. not care. And the coaching staffs are probably smart enough at this point to not, to not look at ERA either. So. Yeah. Like, are they really going to care if they have a guy who goes five innings with seven Ks, zero walks, and then gives up like, you yeah. know, a three or Homer and it ruins his ERA. It's like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. It'd be interesting to talk about. It'd be really interesting to talk to like a major league like minor league coach or something like what what are you what are these pitchers focused on are they it's probably different for each guy um but i of course the answer for me is i i haven't looked at a minor league era in my life 
that's not true, but you won't hear me write about it or anything like that. Uh, I want the high strikeout guy and the low walk guy. That's pretty much all I look at, uh, strikeout to walk ratio. And it comes down. I mean, the average, there are some just crazy drops. I have every, for the last three seasons, I have every minor league strikeout rate and each guy's major league strikeout rate. I looked at all the guys that threw, I think, that faced 200 batters in each at each level. Not each level, but 200 batters faced in the majors and 200 batters faced in the minors. And, yeah, I mean, Ken Waldachuk had a 35% strikeout rate in the minors, and that's 21% and a pretty big major league sample now. So that just fell off a cliff. Uh, and there are very few guys that um, improved. There's almost nobody that improved because most of these guys that actually did improve seem to be that they went from a starting role in the minors to a reliever role in the majors where it's easier to get strikeouts because mm-hmm. your goal is different. So it's it's tough. Um, but, it, but yeah, if, if a prospect's getting called up and he has a 22% strikeout rate in the minors, don't don't add them to forget about it. That it's, it's not going to work. So you want you want the 30% plus strikeout rates in the minors. Those are the guys that have a chance. Um, I would say this year we had a lot more success with minor league pitchers than than hitters, though. I mean, there were plenty of guys that helped the fantasy team. You know, Bobby Miller, Bryce Miller, uh, Tanner Bibby was pretty good. Gavin Williams was, eh, you know, none of these guys were great every time out or anything like that, but they were definitely better than some of the guys on plenty of fantasy rosters. So, And I'm probably missing yeah. some major games there, too. Yeah, that's one of the things. You can't avoid, like... I feel like especially last year, it was like the the most rookie pitchers who made a fantasy yeah. impact that I've ever seen. And it's that was just key to the season, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's like unavoidable. Yeah. So you almost have to look at rookie pitchers and see what they're doing in the minors. And <clears> like totally. you said, it's like what stats do you focus on though? So if you're looking at these minor leaguers and trying to project who's gonna be the big guy, just completely ignore ERA, home runs, like yeah. whip, like yeah, we have day and walk rates, and that's it. We have swinging strike rates for every level now, and that's on my minor league dashboard, which I'll give you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you if you have that, but so there's pitch by pitch level data for every single level, so that's been super nice. So what I look at for is swinging strike rates, um, and then strikeout rates, like I said, and then arsenal depth too. I I would I don't know if this is necessarily provable, but like can compare Bobby Miller to Bryce Miller, the the B Millers. They're both pretty good, and I, Bryce Miller probably outdid Bobby in fantasy like roto value this year. But Bryce Miller threw sixty-five percent fastballs in his first couple outings, and then he had this like a crappy slider. I was like, okay, it's a good fastball, but you can't get away with this in the majors. And then he didn't. And he had a few. He got away with it for a couple weeks, and then it was a bad stretch. And then he started to throw the slider more, and I think he added a sinker or something. But Bobby Miller has like five pitches there, so. Um, he wasn't great at the beginning either, but near the end of the year, he was pitching very well. So I do prefer that. It's not something I can like at this point, like prove to say pitchers with at least four pitches of this usage translate better to the majors. It might be true. I haven't tested it yet, but it seems reasonable to me that if you're going to all of a sudden facing all these better hitters, if you're throwing them a bunch of fastballs, they're going to figure it out and start pounding it. So it's nice to have different things to try at least. You know, I did some light research on that actually this offseason. And what my research showed is that having three plus pitches versus two plus pitches, what it does is it helps get through the third through the order a third yeah. time. So um, that's really the difference is getting through the order a third time. Having and it's having and it's not having uh, five pitches or whatever, but it's plus pitches. So like yeah. if you have an above average, what I did was I, I was using. Uh, 
CSW for each pitch. And yeah. so anyone that had three above average CSW pitches, they were getting through the order. And what, what my research showed, and I, I didn't do like a whole in-depth thing, but I just did some light research on it. But it showed that if you have three plus pitches via CSW, you're 13% more likely to get through that third, the order the third time than if you have two pitches. Yeah, I've heard that too. I think that's pretty much set in stone that that's true. And it makes sense that the reason they get pulled is because they don't want the hitter to see the pitcher a third time. But if you have a different pitch to show them the third time, then it's not really, they're not really seeing the same pitcher. So yeah. it makes sense from a managerial standpoint that I, I'll, I'll let him go a little bit longer because he can mix it up a little bit. Um, from a major league, if you're just looking at major leagues, I've done this before. It's like, do deep arsenal pitchers have better results than smaller ones? It's not true at the major league level, like in terms of ERA and, and results and stuff, but that's biased because Spencer Strider. <laughs> yeah, that, but, the, but why did Spencer Strider, why is Spencer Strider only throwing two pitches? Because they're both so, These so freaking awesome. good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it, it's, it's not fair to, to ding him for, so he doesn't need a third pitch, you know? So these guys with two pitches, have two pitches for a reason because they're good enough to not need anything else. So it's not apples to apples, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what my research shows basically just helping get through the third time in the order. And there wasn't really, I didn't see much of a difference from three pitches to four pitches. So that was interesting. Okay. But still the rookie. Four. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. One, one thing I... It's funny. Bra uh, Braxton Garrett was one of them actually. <laughs> like yeah. he, has four, <laughs> he has four plus pitches and not one of them is a fastball. <laughs> yeah yeah bobby miller is one of those is, is five aaron savali and stuff there's there are those guys um the one the, the thing that i have thought this is all theoretical is that in terms of hitters translating from the minors to the majors to pitchers it would make a little bit more sense that a pitcher would have a smoother time transitioning because um they're the one throwing the ball right like i if, if i'm a pitcher and i throw a fastball slider and a curveball I throw it like that. I'm, I don't have to change anything. I'm going to come to the majors and just do the same thing and see if it works. Uh, so, so you know, the pressure and all the other stuff changes, but whatever. I'm going to throw what I have and see if it works. A hitter, they have to change a lot because they're not seeing the same pitching, right? Like, they're seeing much better pitching, much better pitches they've never seen before, probably advanced scouting reports that these pitchers know them better. So there's just a lot more stuff stuff on a hitter's back in terms of a pitcher. So I don't know if there's anything to that. It makes logical sense to me, but yeah, in terms of fantasy next year, that's what I learned this year that you need. And, and it's not even just that. I think we can be better at predicting minor league pitching in terms of how they'll translate to the majors. But I think it's just, you have to find, you're going to need pitching help during the season, right? Like you're going to need something and you can either go with, you can either, stream Marcus Stroman for a week or whatever it may be, or, or just have a bunch of mediocre guys where you can take these higher upside arms. And so, yeah, I, I think most of my minor league draft picks and, and draft season will be on pitchers. Yeah. And for anyone look, trying to look at like minor league stats, like what my research was showing me is that walk rate is very stable from minors to majors. There's yeah. not much, you know, there's not much change. It correlates pretty well, but it's K rate. And you mentioned, like, that's why you want a pitcher that has, like, a 30% K rate in the minors minimum because yeah. K rate drops about, like, 6.5% from my research, more or less. So it's somewhere around there. So if K rate's going to drop 6.5%, then you're going to have – if you're a 30% K rate guy in the minors, then all of a sudden you're going to be, like, 24 or 23 or whatever in the majors. And if you're a 23% K rate but that you walk 10% of guys, it's 
not good. Yeah. You're like a you know below average pitcher at that point. Then. Yeah, Grayson Rodriguez minors to majors went 38 percent to 25 percent. Andrew Abbott 36 percent to 26 percent. Uh, Yuri Perez 35 percent to 29 percent. Walter Chuck 35 to 21. Um, Edward Cabrera 34 percent to 26 percent. Kevin Williams 34 percent to 24 percent. Brian Wu 33 percent to 25 percent. So these are massive drops. Um, mm-hmm. So you sh- you need to be expecting that, and it, and yeah, Spencer Schrider went from thirty nine percent to thirty seven percent, so he he doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> but, but definitely, you're, you're definitely looking at a guy with a, like thirty three to thirty five percent strikeout in the minors to have any chance of a good K to walk ratio. I'm just saying the same thing you just did though. So yeah, what's up with Waldachuk? That's such a weird one. Like, how is he so yeah. good in the minors? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, what was he doing I would be, there? I'd be curious to see what, what what he would do if he would go back to the minors. Maybe he was, maybe he's just no good anymore. Yeah. anymore. I don't know. Maybe he was maybe throwing tacky balls or something, and the umpires don't yeah. care down there. Like, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's yeah, so strange. That almost, almost cut in half around 35 to 21. It's really brutal. His walk rates did exactly the same, like you said. Um, ERA went from 294 to 543. So it's tough out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. You have anything else to say about rookie correlations before we jump over and talk about some other data? No, that's all right. Just just draft fewer minor league p- players than than everybody else. That's my advice. Except for the pitchers, because you have to. You don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> There's not yeah. pitchers out there. You need them. <laughs> or just draft. Yeah, just draft your whole pitching staff super early and just so you don't yeah. have to worry about it. But. Yeah, there you go. That's a strategy. Yeah. Um, so. You and I have not really talked that much about the F scores before, but that's mm. kind of like my, we've, we've chatted about it a little bit, but that's kind of like my, um, my data entry gives me a nice number, like a WRC plus or whatever, or, a, or a ERA plus or whatever you want to use, but it's kind of like a plus number that tells you how good this player is going to be for fantasy. And it has different categories. And so I try to limit statistics like i don't want to use too many stats in it i try to just use the ones that correlate very well for Mm -hmm. predictability like injuries are like near impossible to predict um i've kind of figured unless it's like a pitcher injury like hitter injuries are just impossible to predict right so if you're talking about like durability like hitter injuries are just impossible like i mean you look at byron bucks and you're like what you can't predict the byron bucks injury but that's just I don't know. Some guys are just injury prone and they, they're going to fall in one bucket. But then, you know, if Frey Freeman breaks his leg or something, that's just like a free thing that happens. And if he misses half the season, like who's going to predict that? And are you really going to ding him next year when you're drafting him because something like that happens? No. Um, but pitchers, I think, are the ones you have to watch out for because if a pitcher is, gets hurt before, they're more likely to get hurt again. Right. So like, I don't know, like if you like, what does it tell you if you have like Brian Bayo has elbow soreness? Are you going to just stay away from him, even though he had a good year this year? Like, does like, what do you do in those instances with pitcher injuries? Uh, I don't know. It it depends on what it is, but it's always about how everybody else reacts to it. Um, Because most of the time you see people just not wanting to draft a pitcher at all. Like Carlos Rodon was good this year. It didn't end up well, but uh, no, like nobody wanted him. At first he was going way too high, I thought. 
Like he's gone too high the last couple of years, but then he had these injury stuff early on and then he w- he was falling forever. So at some point it becomes, okay, well that the, the market correction is too much. It's, it's, it's thinking this risk is higher than I think it probably is. So, but yeah, you don't see a lot of cases where you have all these injury questions with a pitcher and then it ends up them ripping off 170 innings, you know, it's usually significant, but if, but if you can get a guy, I mean, there's still something to be said for getting 50 really good innings because you can replace these guys in most leagues. So um, I'm, I, I'm not a guy that scratches people off just because they're hurt, um, but I let the field kind of – like I drafted DeGrom this year. I, I don't know. The upside was just so high. If he threw 150 innings, you'd have the most valuable player in the game and you got him in the second or third round. So it didn't work out, and I got burned by him and Rodon, but I'd probably do it again. Uh, it's just all about the ADP, I think. Yeah, but it's a, yeah, it's, it's a, a good, good point that I don't know because you only have one elbow. You know, it's not like you know if your elbow's hurt, then you're not going to be any good at pitching, throwing a baseball, and it's not like yeah, you ever can get things back to fully 100. percent And you know, the human body probably just isn't designed to throw to, to do that with your arm. That's a very strange thing we do to our bodies, these these guys. So but there's obviously a difference between Garrett Cole and uh Steven Strasburg, right? Like those two people are obviously not the same structurally. So mm-hmm. I like to use also innings pitched per game start kind of as a measure. Um mm-hmm. to see how deep pitchers are going. I think that helps read like if if a pitcher is going deep consistently, but then has an injury or whatever, when they come back, they're probably going to come back and be going deep consistently again. I think that there's some consistency as far as innings pitched to game starts. That I like, try to, if you can find it, use pitch count because oh yeah, that can be about that can be about efficiency just as it can be about pitch count. But yeah, but yeah. that matters because if a pitcher goes deeper, they're more likely to get a W. They're more likely to get a quality start yeah. if you're, in a, you know, like they're more likely to get more Ks. So like, I think that's where that matters because like, it was Justin Mason and I had a conversation about it on my podcast at the beginning of the year. He was making fun of me because I had Blake Snell ranked like 32nd or something like that. Yeah. He's like, that's way too high. He's like, Blake Snell never pitches innings and stuff like that. But it's like, it's I, too high. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Ended up being good that I had him that high because it's, I actually, you know, had a chance of getting him, I guess. Or, uh, yeah, and you have to readjust the innings thing. Like a 180 is the new 200. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. 140, you're pretty much okay with. Yeah. So back, so back to hitters. Um, this is kind of like I have my F contact uh, stat, and this is what goes into that soup. I have, I use BABIP batting average contact rate, zone contact rate infield fly ball rate and then sweet spot percentage and so i just wanted to ask you about like what you thought of using those stats as indicators as far as like contact like what would you use and what wouldn't you use and then one of the questions i had for you is like that i feel like a lot of people are confused on is how do you use contact rate versus zone contact rate like which one is more important to you and how do you use both of them rather than just looking at one and be like aren't these almost the same thing like, what do you do with that? They're super correlated. It really doesn't matter. I, I wouldn't use them both. I would pick one because they're basically telling you the same thing. So if you're putting them both in, you're just double counting. Um, 
So I, I don't think you'll notice. You're not going to lose anything by taking one of them out. I would just use overall contact rate. That's what I use. Um, it's the same thing with like swing and chase. Swing rates and chase rates are just the same. I mean, you only chase, you chase a lot because you swing a lot. That's that's all it is. Like those two things are almost perfectly straight line if you plot them. And I've done that before. So, um, and then you have BABIP, batting average, and contact rate. There's a lot of double counting there too. Um, the only difference between batting batting average and BABIP are strikeouts. Um, and contact rate tells you a lot about strikeout rate. So kind of a lot of double counting there too. I would probably scratch batting average. I don't know exactly know what your what your goal is. Um, basically, how, basically what I yeah. what I do is I try to kind of eliminate um, high batting average as a measure of contact by taking a player's average BABIPs against their career BABIP and then using that as a measure against the batting average so that you don't have a player who has like, for instance, if they, if like someone with like a 380 career BABIP, like if someone had a 380 career BABIP or whatever, and then they have a bad season or whatever, it's not going to hold them down as far as like what someone might think about their contact skills. It's like, just trying to eliminate luck basically is the, the way that I use that. And I, I don't use BABIP and batting average. I take both of them to make kind of like one equation okay. out of both statistics. Yeah. So this is, you're trying to like get three different, four or five different skills and then mash them all together. Right. So yeah, this is different than what I do. I, I, I try to just project each line. Um, but yeah, it's it's tricky what you're doing because you don't know how to. I don't know how you figured out how to weight things. You know, for the overall score, you weight contact, and then the other ones that we'll talk about more. How do you know which one to weigh at what level? I've been playing around with it a bit to see kind of like how effective. Because I noticed, for instance, last year, I did really really well in all my points leagues and all my on base percentage leagues, and then I was pretty much last in like any roto league <laughs> like uh, as far as like batting average i was last in like every batting average league uh for roto and i was just like okay the reason is because um i was not factoring in i, I think i think this is the reason why but i was not factoring in like high babips i was trying to eliminate babip last year and now what mm-hmm. i'm trying to do is use babip as a guide by factoring career babips in to kind of pull yeah up what someone is probably likely to do because like for instance like i had a guy like max muncie or whatever who would show or kyle schwarber they would show up at high in contact because they have good you know they make good contact they have high contact rates or whatever but then they're slow as crap and they have terrible yeah. bad all the time so it's like they're not going to hit for a good average so then what is my f contacts we're telling you it's like okay they make good contact but they're not going to hit for an average they're just yeah. it, it's like okay oh, they might guys. hit for more power and make good contact but are they going to get on base? <laughs> so I, right. I tried to use more of like a career Babbitt to make, to pull my contact rate back to what someone should be doing rather than just saying this good, this guy is good at making contact on the ball. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it doesn't, unless you know the strikeout rate, then like Joey Gallo makes great contact, you know, he just never does it. So, you know, when, when he's puts the ball in play, it's pretty good, but it happens so infrequently that it doesn't really matter. But what I do is <clears throat> yeah, I, I project BABIP, right? Like I, I don't project it's, it's silly to just project a 300 BABIP for everybody. I 
take each player and use their previous data to project their BABIP, project their ground ball rate, fly ball rate, all of this stuff, and then take all those base lowest level skills and <clears throat> turn those into a each a projection for each of the five, six, whatever categories. So that's that's how I do it. It's a different approach than what you're doing with these F scores. Yeah, the the goal is to just make it easily digestible more than anything. Instead of having like a yeah. million stats, just kind of digest it down to a few. Um, I do you use infield fly ball rate as like a kind of like I use yeah, it as like a negative, right? Like if it's like okay, if you have a high infield fly ball rate, it's just like wasted out. So yeah, mine it projects pop up rate, and it, it that goes into the BABIP. You know, pop ups aren't gonna pop-ups are not going to go for hits. So if you hit a lot of pop-ups, that, that reduces your bad. Yep. So discipline, I use walk rate, K rate, chase rate, swing strike rate. Is that, I mean, to me, that's like really all you need. I don't feel like you need any more than that. What do you think? It's a little double counting again with strikeout rate and swing and strike rate. You're, you're kind of penalizing guys twice. I don't. Yeah, I, I get that. I kind of double walk rate though. Is uh, so my equation okay. like you wouldn't know that though unless you actually had my algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, so O swing. You said that I swing rate pretty much tells you everything you need to know, zone or not zone. But that's fine. Um, yeah. So it's just that kind of thing. It's called like I learned it in in grad school. Like, except I don't remember the the word for it. There's a statistical word for double correlation like co-correlation yeah. or something counting things twice that's a that's something you can get in trouble because you said you kind of <clears throat> cleaned it up there but just for the hypothetical if you were using strikeout rate and swinging strike rate and walk rate to project one number for somebody then yeah like with um joey gallo or something you'd you'd be crushing them twice and get you give them yeah. a plus in the walk rate and then you pound them twice for strikeouts because it's swinging strike rate and strikeout rate are kind of the same thing so to be careful there but wait, waiting is the hardest thing to do just yeah. waiting all this stuff together yeah. yep exactly so what i do i i <clears throat> met basically i mesh those and then walks get our two to one versus like k and swing strike i just use swing strike and k kind of like i mesh them into like one thing because i feel like it's yeah. i feel like <clears throat> it's gonna average out better over time to use both of them maybe i'm wrong maybe it's just a waste of my if time you have smaller that. samples <laughs> if you i think if, with a with a player with a full season's worth of data, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any reason to look at swing and strike rate because the strikeout rate will have normalized and it'll tell you that. But with a younger player, like swinging strike rate will stabilize quicker than strikeout rate. So if you have a smaller sample, then yeah, if a guy has a really high strikeout rate, but uh, like this was with McLean, I think in the first couple weeks he had like a 40% strikeout rate, but his contact rate, which is just the inverse of swinging strike rate, was pretty good. So it was like, oh, the strikeout rate's going to fall, and it did. So it works for small samples. Yeah. And sometimes that's all you're working with at the end of a season. So yeah, um, power. I do ISO <clears throat> barrel rate, home run to fly ball. I use reverse ground ball, right? Like I use that as a negative, and then I use yeah. average EVs. Even though I wish I had something better, it's just that there's not something across multiple levels that I can find. Like I wish I could have something better than that, but it's hard to find find something <clears throat> that does what I'm trying to make it do. <laughs> better than average EV at the moment that is across like platforms that's easy to get yeah average EV is fine people kind of trash trash it but I think it's a good defined stat um, I barrel rate I really like barrel rate I think the, besides park stuff like uh, 
a 12% barrel rate plays much differently in um, Cincinnati than it does in Kansas City. You know, uh, that projection for home runs is much lower in Kansas City comparatively. Um, and then you're just focusing on power here. You've already handled the strikeout. Because what I was going to say is barrels per plate appearance is a little bit better because yeah. that counts in the strikeouts. But since you're doing this separately right here, you're just isolating what kind of power do they have. Then, yeah, that's that's fine. I, um, ISO, I, I never look at ISO. I'm kind of an ISO hater, but I understand it, I guess. It, it seems like ISO is just rewarding hitters who don't hit singles, which – I don't know why that's a good thing, but <laughs> yeah, I'll take a, I'll take a single. <laughs> it's but, not too bad. Yeah, it's true. It's just, if you're trying to get power, like if you're trying to go get guys who hit extra base hits, like if you think power, you're thinking of people who hit extra base hits more or less, and you can get someone no, you're with not. a really you're, high you're, barrel rate who gets, who only singles for one reason or another. Right. You're not though. That That's a mis That's a misconception about ISO. You're not necessarily finding hitters that have a lot of extra base hits, you're finding hitters that have a high percentage of their hits being That's extra base hits. Yeah, yeah, true. Patrick Wisdom had a, Patrick Wisdom had an incredible ISO this year, but he also didn't have any hits. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's like, funny. I was actually looking at him yesterday, so it's yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, his ISO is amazing. You would think yeah. he's great by his ISO, but he's not. He, he very rarely gets a hit, but when he does, it's a home run. But, okay, how does that help you? You know, I don't yeah. care about it. So. <laughs> you know, Another thing I do is I, I take uh, I have like a, a park factor that I take. So I'll take like for power, I'll use a home run rate for that at whatever park is their home park and just yeah. t take that for half because half their home games. So I kind of use that as like a add on into the equation. Yeah, I do. I have to project barrel per home run or home run per barrel for every player. And my script, I have it, I have this everything in Python, so I can do all this fancy yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Is it takes, it, it goes every game they've played, every park they've played in, and it says, okay, even if it's not their home park. So it'll say that uh, Kyle Schwarber went to, to Nationals Park a few times and had a 60% barrel per home, home run per barrel there. Adjust, so that park's rate for that park is this. Let's adjust it. Let's say, let's just adjust his rate to, or, you know, consider the park and then adjust it down and then do that for every single park they played in and then get one number. Uh, so, but that's, a, it, it makes very little, like just very slight differences on the end yeah. of the end result. You know, it's not, not a huge deal. Yeah. And then for speed, basically I just use stolen bases minus caught stealing over hits plus walks. And then I also factor in uh, home to first splits. Yeah. And I do that for lefties and righties because obviously most lefties are going to get the first quicker than a righty just because. They yeah. What's the, so. is, is there just like a fact, there's probably some kind of factor you can just give every lefty. Yeah. It's like a point thing. It's like a 0.04 difference between lefty yeah, and righty. It's an extra step. Yeah. They, they are closer yeah. to the first. That's why baseball is so weird. It's not symmetrical like other sports, you know, so much of this stuff. It is symmetrical, but like a left-handed person can't play third base and then, a left-handed hitter has an advantage in terms of getting to first quicker, but a right-handed hitter has a little bit of an advantage in turning ground balls into hits because more of their ground balls are going to the third baseman than the first baseman. And it's much easier for the first baseman to turn a ground ball to in and out than the third baseman, you know? So it's <laughs> yeah. right. Lefty stuff goes, goes a lot deeper than you even think about. Yeah. Especially with shifts. 
<laughs> yeah. Thank you, Shits. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Um, I, I've never studied like, do fast players steal more bases? I've never like proven that, but it, that has to obviously be true. Like, but if, if you find a guy that I wonder how many hitters have very good home to first, but just don't steal bases. I wonder if that even happens. I'm sure it does. They're a, they're a decent amount. If you look, yeah. If you look at the list, there are like a, there are some weird ones. Like Brandon Nimmo is usually really high in home to first. And it's like, mm-hmm. he only steals like five bags a year. What's he doing? <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, is it doesn't know how to get a jump or just doesn't think it's worth a, the, doesn't think it's an optimal thing to do or something. It's, maybe yeah. he's like the most sabermetric player I can think of. Right. So it's like, maybe yeah. he just, knows oh uh, it's not worth the if i get caught right. stealing 20 percent of the time it's not worth it or whatever. Yeah. so yeah, that's um yeah and then something else i add into my equation when i'm making my total f score for the hitters is i have like an external factor category where i throw in like home park factors lineup factors i created like a custom lineup factor where based on where you hit in the lineup like how likely you are to get certain counting stats yeah. Uh, WRC plus plays into it. Um, and then I've just got like a little factors and they're just like, they barely help, but home run and stolen base totals. And then RBI or runs plus RBI totals just to help like camp, you know, adding value to guys who get counting stats, even if maybe they suck at stuff uh, because they're going to provide fantasy value, even though they're not good <laughs> just because of, you know, where they hit or whatever. And then also I have aging curve in there to help try to predict like, okay, how much is this player going to get better next year? Or how much is this player going to get worse next year based on where they are on their, you know, career progression or their career arc or whatever. Yeah. That all makes sense to me. I think WRC plus is you've kind of already factored that in a ton with everything else, but um, yeah, the aging curve is something I'm going to do a lot this off season because my season projections last year didn't even include that. And that's a pretty big, mistake so i'm gonna figure out i think i'm just gonna go back on the data and for every player that you know went 20 to 21 see how their stats change and average it all out and get those adjustments for every possible age jump so that'll that'll take a while but it'll be interesting for me to see and it sounds like you've already done that and i know Derek cardi's already done that but that's gonna be in my season long projections this year i i imagine that like la de la cruz we should expect less fewer ground balls from him next year probably a little bit lower strikeout rate stuff like that just because these guys are it's not like he he's obviously going to want to hit more fly balls and strike out less. So he's going to try. And since he's so talented and has the experience now, he's probably going to be at least a little bit successful. So the aging yeah. stuff will be good to add. I'd be interested to see like, if you could come up with the same numbers as me, because basically I got from like starting at age 21 to 24, it's about a two and a half percent increase year over year. And then from in, 25, like their prime, right? What? Like 25 to 27 is 3%. And then 27, in like 27 is 27 to 28 is 2. Based what on is what? the increase? Uh, no, what, like what stat is increasing 2% or just overall? Like, yeah, I just did like overall production. I can't, you know, yeah. I did this like a couple of years ago and I think I, I don't remember if I used WRC plus as just like a guide, basically like, yeah, there, that like, makes sense. Plus increase yeah. or decrease. Yeah, I think I just use like one common stat that kind of is like a coverall. Um, but 28, I got a 2%, 29, 1%, 30 is even. Obviously, like after 30, they're just constantly going down. And then like yeah. the back end, like once they hit like 36, they're going down like five, six, you know, wow. something yeah. percent a year. 
So like 36 is really like the real killer. But like, I think we talked about it actually when we did our Potapalooza thing. But I think we, we mentioned that like older, like superstars tend to age slower. Like their peaks are, they just have longer peaks than the average player. But so it's like, how do you factor like, okay, who, could, who is going to have this longer peak? Who is considered a superstar? Who's going to drop off a cliff? Like who's going to be Patrick Corbin and just like be a, in the World Series one year and then just be like dead meat the next year? You know? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the thing to factor, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me that like, I, if you're very, very good, then as you age, you're still going to be very good. But you're saying that the superstars don't lose any percent of anything as they, or they, it's, it's. I slower. just think that the peak lasts longer instead of being from like 25 to 28 or whatever. I think their peak maybe goes from like 25 to 30 or like 25 to 31. Because I mean, like, even like look at Paul Goldschmidt, he was 35 or whatever last year and he had his best year. So yeah, that doesn't happen that often. Something like that. Yeah. And then yeah, one of the other interesting thing is like, look at pitchers. So if like a pitcher has Tommy John when they're older, they have their new ligament. And then you see a guy like Verlander come off and be dominant as an old guy after he gets TJ. So it's like, okay, they've got the new ligament. So does that mean that they're going to like get a, <laughs> yeah. like if someone, get, if someone is older and they're coming off TJ all of a sudden, does that mean they're going to bounce back to like, a higher level because they have TJ versus someone who doesn't have TJ. That's fine. Yeah. So that's something to figure out. Um, That'd be tough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Pitchers for stuff. I I use K rate. I use fastball velocity, um, swing strike rate, CSW and stuff plus. Yeah. uh, Swing strike rate and, and CSW. That's double counting again. You know, swinging strike rate is, more than half of CSW. So yeah. I would just stick to one of those fastball velocity. Yeah, I guess that helps. You'd rather have a high fastball than a low one. And then stuff plus kind of encompasses everything all at once. So with pitchers, there's only, there's so few categories that we care about that the more you add, you're just kind of double triple counting. So it's tough, but uh, yeah, personally, I just look at swinging strike rate ground ball rate, walk rate, strikeout rate. But I try not to I try not to look at swing and strike rate and strikeout rate at the same time. Do you think ground ball rate really matters? Because there's so many yeah. good there are so many good pitchers that are fly ball pitchers that I don't even use it. I use it a lot. Huh, Give me the ground balls. Why? I'm curious. because uh, it what is I mean, it you like, can have what, a bad... what does it correlate to more like, <laughs> like I guess like what it Having a higher ground ball rate, like what are you, where is that most likely to help you? Like what categories, if you're playing fantasy baseball, is that most likely? ERA. I think it keeps your ERA down. Home runs are, especially nowadays, most of your earned runs are given up on, not most, but more and more every year, your earned runs are given up on home runs. And you can have, you can have a high fly ball rate and be okay in home runs, but there's all that variance. Like home run for fly ball is very variable year over year. So if you get a guy that's just not giving up many fly balls, then you don't really have to worry about that. You don't have to. I mean, it's nowhere near as important as strikeout to walk ratio, but uh, I do. I do mean, yeah, it's a, a, it's more than a tiebreaker to me, but I think it should for everybody it should at least be a tiebreaker. Like definitely give me the Alex Cobb over the, um, I don't know, similar strikeout to walk ratio pitcher with a high fly ball rate, you know. Yeah. See, like, I see where that would really help in a league that's like a points league that penalizes you for homers. 
Like if you're an Otno, you get nailed. If you have a, if you, you know, if you, if you give, if you're in Fangraphs points and you give up home runs, so like that, I could see how that could help a lot in that. But I just feel like there's so many flyball pitchers that have a, a similar ERA to a groundball pitcher. It's like okay, maybe they don't give up, um, maybe they don't give up as many home runs the groundball pitchers, but that means they're gonna there's gonna be more batted balls at play, so they're still likely to give up a similar amount of runs total. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, so I had I was looking for this file, and maybe I'll just find it later. Um, <clears throat> I just it was this file that for like a huge sample of, of baseball has correlations for every stat. So I was going to look at the ground ball radio, ground ball rate to ERA correlation and see if there's anything there. I think it's slight. I don't think it's big, but I think it's more than more than nothing. But yeah, <laughs> enough to take notice. Yeah. Um, control. I use walk rate, first pitch strike rate, chase rate, uh, whip. We should, uh, you know, whip is <laughs> partially control, but then you have hits obviously in there too. And location plus. I really like first pitch strike. I added that in last year, and I feel like that's like it's one of the more important stats for trying to reduce walk rates. I feel like walk rate and fit first pitch strike rate correlate very well what do you think about this yeah uh it it would right because <clears throat> just think very logically if, if you're throwing a lot of strikes on the first pitch that means you can throw strikes which means you'll throw strikes a lot all the time so and how you the way to avoid a walk is by throwing a bunch of strikes so uh, you could almost just do that with like second pitch strike would probably tell you this exact same thing as first pitch strike i don't know if there's as much of an mm-hmm. like a huge advantage to going oh one rather than throwing the second pitch for a strike. So what do you it, think it tells, ment- you, it tells you. What do you think about like mentally though in the at-bat? Like that's why I think first pitch strike plays. Cause if like if you're if the pitcher is ahead 0-1, you know you've got a couple more pitches to play around with on like, you know, outside of the zone or like on the edges. Whereas if it's 1-0, you're like, oh shit, I need to throw a strike now. Because I don't yeah, I don't do well. I don't do mental stuff here. I, I don't pretend to to know to interpret people's mental state or I don't you know, so I, I don't, I try to not speculate on that, but it opens up your arsenal more than mental. It, yeah. If you're on one, you can throw whatever pitch you want. I want to know you might be more prone to throw a fastball and mm-hmm. then you're more likely to get to two and oh, and you really don't want to be a two and oh, after you get to two and oh, you're in big trouble. Um, so, so yeah, I, I could see it, but um, you could also just use strike rate. That's one of my new favorites this year that uh, I use strike rate, which is just the percent of your pitches that go for a, with a call strike or a foul ball. Interesting. Okay. Um, FERA, which is basically like my ERA indicator. I just mesh a bunch of stuff together. I got Sierra, ERA, batting average against, <clears throat> home run per nine, and barrel rate against. What stat? What are yeah. those stats do you use, and what do you think is most important? Uh, See, so, yeah, I kind of just what I said. I would for like trying to figure out an ERA, I'm pretty much sticking to um, strikeout to walk ratio, park stuff, and ground ball rate, or at least what kind of, uh, yeah, because I, actually, I found that file. I can pull it up in a minute, but, um, well, again, I've been giving you the same thing every time, but Sierra and all these ERA indicators, those are just the result of strikeouts, walks, and home runs. So, 
if you're using home runs per nine and Sierra, there's double counting there because one of the big inputs to Sierra is home run per nine. Um, or if, if it's not, I know like the difference between FIP and XFIP is that FIP just uses how many home runs you gave up and XFIP uses your, how many, um, or your home run to fly ball. It like adjusts for that. So that's why XFIP's a little bit better because it adjusts for the home run to fly ball noise. Um, and I'm assuming Sierra does the same. So Sierra already tells you a little bit about how many home runs they give up. You think home run to fly ball is more important than home run to nine? Because I'm just no. thinking like if you give up less fly balls and that's going to affect like you could, right. you could, yeah, you know, you could have a higher home run for nine, but then if you, yeah, they're not all like created the same. Nine, right? be more, st- more telling than home run to fly ball. I, you're yeah, you're right. Um, Cause yeah, like if, if Alex Cobb gives up a 20% home run to fly ball rate and Kristen Javier gives up a 20% home run to fly ball rate, Kristen Javier is going to give up a whole lot more home runs than Alex Cobb because yeah. the fly balls are much higher. So, uh, yeah. But they, again, again, I don't – FERA, yeah. Does your, does your Sierra – I think it's true. Does your Sierra predict your next year ERA better than your ERA does? I guess that's the whole point that it does, so. Yeah, you could probably just it, probably just use Sierra and not your ERA, not the actual. The Sierra, but Sierra might not factor in park stuff too. So yeah, that's actually the, I, I do add that into. I didn't write it into my notes, but I have park factors that I use in my FERA equation. Um, yeah, you see, like I have below there. Actually, I do have it written in there. So like the P, the FPEF, which is basically external factors, plays straight into my FERA, which is like inverse home park factors, and then I have a def- defense factor. Um, then also, like we talked about, like having three plus pitches for a uh, starter. And then I also have like a, a sliding scale almost for relievers because I, I, have, I have to have two different algorithms, right? I have one for starting pitchers and one for relief pitchers. You can't use the same yeah. metrics yeah. for both. And each one has different league averages. Like the, the league average reliever is going to have a way higher K rate than the league average starter. So you have to separate the two. Yeah. Um, but I kind of have like a closer slash setup factor where like, if you're a closer, you kind of get like a bonus. So like, even like if you're like a crappy closer, you're still going to get saves. So it's still going to be good and fancy versus like an awesome, like, you know, for like what, what's a good team that has a really good, like fourth reliever. You know what I mean? Like there are a few of them, like Baltimore did this year, like Atlanta has in the past. The twins, twins twins had like (laughs) six. The sixth inning guy was just like six. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So it's like that guy might be awesome, but if he's not gonna, if you're in a saves league and he's not gonna get you saves, versus like maybe you know a closer with a five ERA, like Fernando Rodney for so many years, just (laughs) it's like yeah, I don't the value difference there. I don't, I don't even really project relievers, and I don't really intend to start. I, I just kind of do that last. Like I do all the starting pitchers and hitters and then my relievers, I'll just like usually just copy someone else's list. And just, <laughs> Cause I don't know it, you know, just, just give me the guy, give me the cheaper guys that have, that are kind of crappy on a decent team or that are kind of whatever, you know, just kind of read the news and go on it like that. Projecting relievers in terms of getting saves is like impossible. Um, yeah, I was yeah, going to par- ask, ask you, do you draft for ratio relievers then? So no, like if I, you're, you just get only closer, like you won't even try to get like, oh, this guy's an awesome setup guy. And if this dude gets hurt, then he might be great for me. Like, do you, you don't even draft a guy like that or? I don't No, I don't. I, Cause I, I think people think that 
your relievers have some bigger, like actual significant effect on your ratios. I, I think people overstate that. I think, uh, I mean, just think about what's an average inning count for a starter. Like if I draft a starting pitcher, I'm looking for 180 innings or so now. So just assume mm-hmm. that, and then I have, if I have nine slots, I'm picking six starters and three relievers. So let's do the math, you know. So if I'm, my hope is that I get six starters times 180. I'm hoping I get about 1,100 innings for my six starters. For if I'm getting three relievers, what do they get? 60 innings, you know. That's 180. So one starter. I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 180 out of 1,100. Um, well, let's do let's do the addition. So 180 divided by 1,100 plus 180. So I'm getting 14% of my innings from the re- three relievers. So how big of an how big of an impact can you possibly have <clears throat> on ERA if you're only contributing 14% of the denominator, the innings pitch? Not very. Yeah. You know. Does doesn't that's that make assuming it they have good ERAs? They don't always have good ERAs because <laughs> a couple home runs makes a big difference. So doesn't that almost make an argument for you though to just go seven two? And instead, just draft two elite relievers. Yeah, we're gonna notch forty something saves, and then get seven starters because it's gonna be better for all your other numbers long term. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really good idea. Um, yeah. But but then you put a lot of chips on that. If one of those relievers gets hurt, and yeah, then you're then that, then that really <laughs> sucks. <laughs> and maybe yeah. you just back, maybe you just draft draft their handcuff or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I did that like in the back. Yeah, but yeah, if if you can lock that in. Um, but I, but the other problem with that is in these NFBC leagues that you do, like if you want two of those, that means using two of your first like six picks that hurts, mm-hmm. man. I, even if it's optimal, <laughs> it's hard to click that button. <laughs> it's, and that makes an argument for it though. Maybe to, and don't even draft starters until later. Like what if you just get four, like your six for six picks, you do like four hitters and two elite relievers and then wait till later. Yeah. Cause I think yeah, some of this like starters are pretty variable. Cause if you, like I had like three of my probably top four or five starters in just for TGFBI, for an example, got hurt this year and like never came back. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so much. But that's for true. Those all, guys. <laughs> it's not like the top, it's not like the top guys get hurt and the lower guys don't. You're, you're taking yeah. the same risk no matter. Yeah. They what. have the same, yeah. They have the same risk, but later, late, if you're drafting all your starters later, then it's going to ding you. It's not going to ding you as much. But you're going to finish last in pitching. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe. <laughs> the, the, it, it depends on the league with the with the nfbc yeah. leagues i do a lot of, i do those 50s i like those a lot because just because it's like january and you're like i'm bored and it's yeah i like, can't go outside <laughs> uh, let me do a draft uh, but and those where you can't do any in-season moves then absolutely get the closers early that's fine even i don't it's again it's hard to click the button but it's obviously a thing you should do but what i just said about the ear the ratio is not mattering in a like a home league or a league where i can pick people up I'm hardly, I don't even really want to draft a reliever. I'll just get, I don't care about the ERA and the whip because I know it's not going to hurt my team very much. So just find the guys that are free that get saves, pick them up as they come up. That's the way to go for a home league. And if, if people are reaching for these elite relievers in your league, then that's even, that's great for you. Let them do it. Cause that's another <laughs> good player that falls to you. You'll catch up in saves by just being more vigilant on waivers. So yeah, I agree with that. I think the deeper the league, the more important relievers are. Like, is just it's just easy math there because you only have thirty potential guys who can saves. So unless you're in saves holds, yeah. if you're in a saves holds leagues, just like don't oh, even yeah. matter. Don't even, relievers right. don't even matter anymore. <laughs> Those leagues shouldn't exist. Those leagues are so silly. <laughs> 
Um, so you got any more comments on any stats? Like what, what stats do you use that I don't even like talk about or that I, I don't even have in my equations that I should probably start? I think you should make, we didn't talk much about launch angles. I use sweet spot, I guess that's kind of where you get your yeah. launch angle, but yeah, that, that stuff's very sticky. You know, I had a tweet thread about it the other day about how it's pretty rare for a guy's launch angle to change more than three degrees from year to year. And that matters a lot. Like you, you can learn a lot about a guy's batting average based on their line drive rate, right? Like most space hits come from line drives. Most well, 87% of home runs come from fly balls and ground balls don't do a whole lot of anything. Um, ground balls make go for hits a little bit more often than fly balls. But you know what I'm saying? These three categories tell you a whole lot and they're pretty likely to stick. So if, if you, if you want batting average, look for line drive hitters. If you want home runs, look for fly ball hitters. And um, if you if you have a fast guy, you're okay with the ground ball rate. Like Trey Turner, Bubba Thompson, Bubba Thompson, he didn't make any impact this year, but he was hitting everything directly into the ground, and it worked out fantastically because he would just leg out all these infield hits. What that guy did in 2022 was just insane. Just so many of these, he's barely touching the ball, and he's just running and beating it out. So the ground ball rate for him works, um, but for Max Muncy, you don't ever want that guy to hit a ground ball because maybe he's <laughs> whatever. Yeah, the slow guy. You, you want him to hit, hit a bunch of fly balls, which he does. You know, uh, so launch angle stuff that all correlates exactly with line drives, fly balls, ground balls. That's kind of one thing. Do you look at pull rate at all? Because, like, for instance, look yeah. at like Isaac Paredes, right? That guy just started pulling yeah. everything, and then all of a sudden he got really good. Like, do you use that as a predicting tool? Like anyone it, where you see like a massive jump in pull rate or something like that? It, that will that's a big input into my projected home run per fly ball rate or home run per barrel. Yeah, because there because if you are projecting the same like the league average home run per barrel or bar, yeah home run per barrel, so what percent of your barrels go for home runs? The league average is forty eight to fifty percent. But if you're projecting fifty percent for everybody, and I guess most people don't even project like this, so I use barrel rate to make my projections. That's like the main thing I use, and I build on from there. Um, but if I was using a 50% for Isaac Paredes and a 50% for um, Ronald Acuna, that would be way wrong because Acuna barrels a ton to center field and right field where it doesn't work as well in terms of home runs. But Paredes, all of his barrels, and Arenado too. I don't think Aaron, I don't know if he hit one this year, but there was that stat about how Arenado had not homered to center or right field in years. Yeah. <laughs> every, every ball he's hitting well, his swing is just designed to pull it. And that – uh, that hurts your batting average a little bit because if you're not able to pull one in the air, then it's not going to go super well because that's your whole goal. But it turns your barrels into home runs at a much, 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 much higher rate. And it's significant and it's sticky. So it's something to consider big time because, yeah, I mean, Paredes had like a 90%, 90% of his barrels went for home runs and we should probably expect him to do it again next year. So it's, it's really not something that should, it'll regress a little bit probably because 90% is pretty crazy, but but we should absolutely project that to happen close to that again. And then with a guy like Acuna, Acuna's not the best example on the other end, but he's one that, that stands out. He's like a low forties guy because he just barrels so many to the deeper parts of the park. So. Yeah. And that's an interesting one too, because that's one of like the few stats that a hitter can really like if a hitter is like, I'm going to start pulling the crap out of the ball this year. That's something that yeah. they can actually do. Right. Like you can't just say, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to barrel everything this year. And then yeah. it, it doesn't matter. It's like, no, you're just going to barrel. Gonna they barrel would have already, they would have already, <laughs> done, already it, yeah. done it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I wonder how, cause I know Andrew Bannon's Hendy was rumored to, he said that I'm going to try to barrel more balls and pull more balls in the air. And maybe he probably just tried and couldn't do it. 
you know, it's not like it's yeah. easy to do, but it is a conscious change. Like your, to your point is that it's a conscious effort to change. Yeah. You're always trying yeah. to not strike out. You're always trying to consciously hit the ball hard. And, but, but a lot of times you're just kind of spraying it all over. And then one year like, all right, I'm going to retool my swing and try to pull. So that's something to, to monitor in the first month or so that you can usually get an idea of how that stuff's shaking out after April or so ends. Yeah. So what about pitching stats? Is there any, like, I know you're pretty simple on just like K minus walk and like yeah. some of the other stuff. It's like, it doesn't really matter. Is there anything I missed in pitching stats? No, I think you got it all. You just have to be careful with, with counting things twice. Count. It's kind of the, yeah. yeah. And stuff plus it's an interesting one to talk about. It's pretty good. I, I wanted to be like pretty critical about it and stuff, but it's, it correlates pretty well with strikeout rate and correlates pretty well with swinging strike rate there's outliers and whatnot there's all these plots on my tableau dashboard that you can go look at um but it's good yeah. stat and it, yeah there's some people, yeah there's some weird ones like i think like graham ashcraft was really high in stuff plus yeah for a while wasn't he it's like yeah you think maybe look it may be better to study each individual pitch type and and stuff but yeah but that's a good example ashcraft like bobby miller has one of the highest stuff pluses and it didn't translate and ashcraft's didn't translate and it's just not going to he just does a really hard cutter which is so rare i think that's what he what helps him a lot is he throws this like 99 mile hour cutter that like the model has, hasn't seen much of like the the stuff plus mm-hmm. model is just like i don't really know what to do with this because this never happens like a 98 mile hour cutter it <laughs> like probably only finds emmanuel classe and it's like well that guy's this isn't exactly how it works, but it's just an example of, of yeah. these models. Don't If they don't have a bunch of training data, they don't know what to do. So with a really hard cutter, or maybe it's, say it's a slider that just moves like crazy, then it doesn't have stuff to compare it to, and it's going to get a weaker result. So, yeah, it's not perfect, but it tells you a lot. It's, it's a good number to look at. But I think a lot of people, if I have a season or two's worth of data, I'd rather see the strikeout rate than the stuff plus because strikeout mm-hmm. rate's a result stuff so that's an actual result that's what actually happened stuff plus is a indicator so if you have a big enough sample just look at the look at what actually happened and not just the little uh, indicator stats but, yeah i guess the kind of the goal is to like if you're looking at results it's telling you a story of what already happened and you're hoping that the indicators are going to show you okay this is what is going to happen in the future so like yeah that's the main thing that's why you want to use kind of both and not just rely on but the, the indicators are indicating if it's something like ERA, yeah, there's a lot of randomness in there. But there's less yeah. randomness in strikeout less randomness in strikeout rate. And and basically what stuff plus is indicating is strikeout rate. Yeah. So if you have enough data, just why not just look at the output rather than the indicator? You you have enough to just trust the number that's there, you know. Yeah, it just if depends I, on. If I, have, I guess it just depends on sample size, right? Like, right. stuff plus is something that you need that you can use over a smaller sample size versus like K rate, which once you have a certain, you know, whatever it is, like six, you know, forty innings or whatever, I think is what it's like forty something innings. Once you have like forty something innings, then it starts to stabilize pretty well. So yeah, yeah. If you yeah, if you stuff plus is great for if you want to like figure out how good a rookie might be after his first two starts. You know, you'll, you'll learn a lot. Uh, you'll, you'll have a much better idea if they have a very high stuff plus in two starts that tells you they're much more likely to have a good strikeout rate. That's definitely true. Um, but if you, if I have a pitcher that for three years puts up a 28% strikeout rate with bad stuff plus, am I, should I really be reducing his projected strikeout rate just because he's a bad stuff plus, even though he's overcome that for so long? No, I wouldn't. I would just trust the, 
strikeout rate over the stuff plus, but yeah, it's like the Shane Bieber fallacy or something, probably right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> except that that all came to crashing this crash year, and yeah. burns. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Maybe yeah we should have worried about. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe next year he'll be right back. Because but he lost velocity too, so that was kind of his. Yeah, the velo thing. But. All right. So, what are you doing, John? What are you doing this off season? You got anything? in the works this off season or are you just kind of chilling until we get back into draft season? Yeah. I, I have like a real job and three kids and stuff. So I have to kind of focus on that more important stuff, but I, I write up a team by team reviews. So I've, I've done the three or four worst teams so far. I'm going to just start, I think I'm just going to wait to start releasing those. So maybe I'll wait till December or maybe like the day after Christmas or something, just try to write them all up and then release one a day. So that goes team by team and it kind of, I make my rankings as I go. So that's kind of my non projection way to rank players. I'll look at everything I want to look at and slowly put them in. So it's like, you know, my, I started with the athletics. So my number one hitter was, um, Jack Geloff. So he was my, he was my number one. He was my number one player this year. Cause he was the first guy I looked at. Then I looked at Brent Rooker. Da, da, da. Then I got to the Royals and I got Bobby Witt. So I, then he went in the number one slot. So it builds it out like that. And I think that's a pretty good way to do it because you're giving each player, you know, you're kind of going one by one and not, I'm not copying someone else's rankings and then reconfiguring them. There's no anchoring bias or anything in there. It takes a lot of time, but I really like writing those. That's a lot of fun. So that's what I do. And then my other thing is definitely going to really refine and improve the season long projections. And the other thing I'm trying to get out is a Python course. I'm going to sell it. I don't need to advertise or anything, but it's going to be a video course and there's going to be a bunch of Python codes and notebooks that teach people how to write Python code specifically on the baseball savant data. Um, so that'll be like five to 10 lessons, several hours and a lot of free, not free. It won't be free, but you'll get code to learn from in the videos and you can contact me and help me. And that'll be for sale. It's not going to be super cheap, but out there if anybody yeah. wants to learn Python. That's awesome. <laughs> I want to learn. I just haven't done it. <laughs> I'm your perfect customer. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's. I'm not going to tell anybody that it's easy to do. It. I think you, a guy with your brain, could absolutely do it. You're kind of numerically inclined, but it's like several. You know, I don't want to. I don't know, hundred, dozens and dozens of hours of your time to really get it. You know, it's it's time consuming, but it's certainly been worth it for me. Yeah, I mean it's a language, so yeah. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally is language. So, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. for you, it would man, it would make your all the stuff we just talked about would make that so much easier for Wait, you. So. Yeah, so many hours yeah. of manual data entry, <laughs> mundane <laughs> manual data yeah. entry. <laughs> As I let my I bet you simmer down bet, from all that daily activity. <laughs> right, I bet that's like the most. That's probably your happy place, your most peaceful. Yeah. It is pretty day. chill. I usually just listen to podcasts while I'm doing it and kind of yeah, chill out for right. a couple hours. <laughs> I agree. That's how I do it too. That's like my most relaxed, just writing yeah. baseball stat code. And then after that, oh, my kids are asleep now, but so I want, I, I get to go relax more, but after work, it's like, that's when the real work starts, you know, <laughs> the yeah, weekends are exactly. so much more work than the weekends are hard work during the week is easy. So. <laughs> that's a good place to be that's where you want to be yeah yeah uh no, all right well, a good life thanks for coming on john it was fun good talk to you tim connect yeah for sure we'll do K- it again connect all right talk to you later. <laughs> later see you